Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. I'm here with my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We also have our pop culture aficionado and the man blessed with super sperm. If you listen to our last episode, a lot of feedback about that. What Shane Cunningham. Oh, I feel like I, maybe it was in my personal life. People were like, wow, that episode was wild. Yeah, I did get a lot of uh, congrats on the sperm count. <laughs> a lot. I posted, there's a burrito place. Uh, <laughs> natural segue. But there's a burrito place called XXX Burrito. And oh, I saw I, you posted with that. Like. Yeah, so I said best burrito sauce. So some people, I guess, thought I was t- implying since it was XXX Burrito, yeah. I was implying the burrito sauce was sperm. Ah. So a lot of people took it upon themselves to make that post my congratulations about my sperm post. Oh. So I got about seven. It was actually the most uh, out of any picture I've ever posted. It was the, got the most comments because people were like, that place sucks. Some people were talking about sperm. Some people would be, would be like, really? And then, is it any good as a burrito place? No, I was just making a cum joke. <laughs> <laughs> we are also here with intern Erica, who is working the dials. There's lots going on in in the world, uh, gang. Uh, Max, you uh, reached out for uh, topics. Mm-hmm. People have been sending tons. Uh, Harry Styles mm-hmm. has an album out. Yeah. John Vershante has rejoined the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taylor Swift had a birthday. Uh, Diddy had a birthday. There's so much going on mm-hmm. right now. But before we get into all that stuff, you wanted to say a little something off the top about so, uh, a little rant. Uh, um, little local rant. Little local rant We're all for from anybody. Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, so today it was announced that the Ford government is cutting the LRT, or is basically canceling the LRT plan. What? I'm going to need some Jameson. He's <laughs> <laughs> actually cracking some right now. And, yeah. and Mike, you were like, do we have to talk about this? Because you're like, it's such a buzzkill. Our some of our friends. Oh, you're pouring the Jameson. Just sounds good. That sounds cool so thing. good. Does yeah. it sound good? That's yeah. like pour a little liquor for the LRT. Uh-huh. Well, maybe we should get a couple red cups for everybody. What's going on here? I didn't think you guys were in. Everyone was like, "Ooh, drinking on a Monday," and I was like, <laughs> "I have a, a migraine. It helps me." Um, um, no, it's fine. We'll, we'll get some in a little bit. Um, you know what? It, it was just a, a bunch of our friends in our Champagne Boys mm-hmm. uh, message group. Like people are really bummed out, and it's yeah. it's a depressing topic. It bums me out, so I didn't know if we should do it. But sure. I'm glad that you want to do yeah, it. Yeah, so I just go want to just have a, just a little rant here um, because it's disappointing uh, for a number of reasons. One that it's been you know ten years in the works, and they're now they're just finally canceling it on the the, the, the excuses that. Uh, the the liberal government uh, didn't budget it correctly, and they said it was going to cost a million dollars, and ends. They say it's going to cost five. No, it's a billion dollars. Yeah, billion. So they're off by the billions. They're saying it's triple the original budget. Yeah, yeah. The thing which uh, frustrates me about that sort of conservative nature, though, is that uh, Hamilton, the, the downtown core, is basically two major highways where people can go like seventy miles an hour through like the main arteries of the city, and as a result, there's no businesses along those those stretches that can really do or prosper compared to the places on Lock Street or, or James Street or Ottawa Street where there's actually uh, pedestrian friendly. The sidewalks on and Main and King are super narrow, not to get too in the weeds, but it just frustrates me that the status quo in Hamilton like has been pretty bleak for when we're talking about that kind of infrastructure for decades. And this and people, you know, look to other cities and go, "Oh, well, what sort of uh, spawns development? What what gets people walking to their jobs more? It's when there's good public transportation." And I'm not saying that like I'm an LRT expert or anything. I just you just kind of look at the information that we have, which is the buses were overcrowded. This is a way to connect the east end of the city to the west end of the city. And there's experts that have been researching this for decades using other empirical data to, to present a plan. And after Ten, it's even almost more than 10 years, I think. It's just being killed. And it just frustrates me. 
and I don't want to sound like um, like a like a raging progressive here because I do appreciate the conservative sensibility, and I, I work with people that have more conservative sensibilities than me, and I appreciate when they go, "Hey, don't don't get carried away, Max. I know you got lots of ideas, but did you consider this other thing?" And I really think that balance is actually super super important. But when you look at what the current state of Hamilton is, and the conservative position is, nah, we're just gonna no. You can't have that money. No. Yeah. Then you're like, well, you're not really helping the problem. Like it's, or you're not bothering to invest in the problem in any meaningful way. And you're also shitting on the ideas of people that really care about infrastructure. And the last thing I'll say is that infrastructure is fucking annoying. It's expensive and it takes a long time. And I totally get why nobody wants to fucking deal with it. But it's like, Aren't we all happy like the New York subway system? is? The, are we happy that the TTC is a thing? Are we happy that people actually said, hey, guys, the next five years is going to fucking blow, but the following 100 years is actually going to be pretty good? And like the fact that the, the conservative position is like we just want to deal with that right now is really annoying to me. So your logic is what's another bill? What do you mean what's another Billion. bill? Add it to the pile. Oh, I, no, no, no. This, I'm not saying that, like, I have no concept. Like, I don't want to get in the weeds when it comes to, like, what the budgets are, or what things it's cost. It's not very weedy. It's just saying it, it would cost another billion bucks. Like, is that worth it? If we're already three billion in debt, it, what's another bill? It might bill? be worth it. But I don't think that the conservatives wanted this to happen in any case. Like they, they were like when it was a billion dollars, they were saying, we don't want to do it. Like, they didn't want, they didn't really want the investment at any price. And that's why I just don't think it's a good faith uh, negotiation happening. Mm-hmm. So, like when they said it costs, it's going to cost four billion. Fuck the liberals; they got the number wrong. Then it's just like, okay, I don't think you ever had any interest in doing it. And sometimes you need to let progressive ideas fly and uh, and, and a chance to kind of evolve because good things can happen. Like all the things, all the roads, all the infrastructure that we have is because people actually decided to pony up uh, a long time ago. It's tricky. I don't know how those debt things even really work. I don't know how they work either. Like my wife is so upset. She really wanted the LRT. But she also, like if if we ever get into a little bit of debt, she freaks out. Yeah. So I'm like, if she was running this and she was like, looked at the numbers and was like, three billion, she might be like, well, maybe we don't do this. Well, there's a lot of ways to look at the numbers, too. It's just like, okay, it's more expensive than you thought, but it's actually going to be bringing a lot of jobs. It's going to make Hamilton a more appealing place to live. It's like these are these are big picture questions that cities, every city has to deal with, right? It's like how can we invest now so there's a payback later? Yeah. Uh, you know, you live in Waterloo or you're mm-hmm. from Waterloo and you guys have an LRT. We do. And it's pretty new. It's like a year-ish old. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think it's been awesome so far from the most part like the time will tell time will tell and the reports i hear from my family and my friends who still live there is that it's always packed and seems like there's a lot of people using it i mean it's similar to hamilton it's a student city there's a lot of like young people like none of my friends have cars like Mm. i think cars are becoming like a little bit more obsolete for like the the next generation i think so because because everyone, public everyone wants to live in a city center and everyone wants to war, work or ride their bike yeah to school yeah yeah I and so work. i think yeah it, it is a bummer because hamilton's way bigger than kw yeah. and yeah and it resembles more of like a big like metropolitan city like toronto than kw would and it's it's strange that they're behind on the times in that yeah and i just want to say it's like any evolution in if a human history is based on people going like, oh, let's, let's go for it. Okay, I've been thinking about this a lot. Let's fucking go for it. And and I get that that doesn't always work. And sometimes there's a lot of fucking terrible ideas that come from that too. But like this has been a committee that's been working so long and hard on it. 
and and to just be shut down is annoying. Okay, that's my rant. Imagine the wheel cost three billion to make, <laughs> and we didn't make it. And we didn't make it, yeah. right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you mean little, little history? Like little the wheel food for thought. <laughs> and just for the people at home, I obviously know the answer to this. But what does LRT stand for? Light rail transit. There you go. Erica gave the face like, I definitely know the answer to this. No, I didn't. And also, (laughs) there's also another thing that annoys me about, it's like, well, there's actually maybe better technology. Oh, well, actually, there might be another thing. Eh, No, it's not. It's like, at at a certain point, you have to do something. There's been 10 years of conversation. I think two years of conversation and, and analysis is probably good. But after a certain point, it's just like, we've just been, you know, twiddling our thumbs here. It was supposed to be ended on my left. Okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep thinking of a new little button joke. All right. Um, so, uh, moving on, when Max reached out to Twitter and asked uh, for topics today, your friend Mike Pesca. Mm, I listen to him every single day, so the fact that he even responded made me so happy. I was going to say, it's kind of yeah. cool, right? You're, you're, you're a big fan. Yeah, he hosts a Slate ga- uh, podcast called The Gist. It's a daily show. If you don't, if you want like a, the smartest guy in New York City giving really insightful, thoughtful political opinions, he is your guy. He does it every day. He's like kind of like John Oliver of the podcast world. He's like 30 minutes. He also does an interview. I got to sub in for him one time a couple of years ago and it was amazing. But I, I listen to him every single day. And so he, he got back with a suggestion. Yeah, he uh, he linked to an article from The Athletic uh, by Michael Lee. Uh, said, it worked out for us. Why Kawhi Leonard got the first class reception he deserved in Toronto and why it doesn't always work out that way. So that's an article on uh, The the Athletic. And Mike Pesca uh, linked to it because he was wondering uh, how much... Um, is this word Canadianness or candidness? I think Canadianness is Canadian-ness what he yeah, is yeah. what he's saying. Uh, informed the Raptors fans' joyous response to Kawhi's return, and he thought this was a good take. So I read the article because I subscribe to The Athletic. Me I'm, too. I'm a fan. Uh, and it was. It was an interesting sort of read. Hey, look at us supporting local journalism. You know, that's how it goes. Yep. I read up to the point where it says uh, subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I also uh, signed up for the Globe and Mail. Mm-hmm. So my conversation, uh, a few pods ago, we talked about supporting uh, newspapers. And, and everybody ought to do it. Yeah. But uh, so, Mike, uh, what do you so describe the article and tell us how, what you thought about Kawhi's return to Toronto? Yeah. So uh, for those of you who don't know Kawhi Leonard, uh, uh, he returned to Toronto uh, last week uh, for the first time since winning the championship and then uh, subsequently deciding to go and play for the Los Angeles Clippers. He left our team, you know, mm-hmm. and in, in, historically in the NBA, when uh, big time superstars leave those teams, uh, there's a, a certain amount of bitterness. If you're a Toronto Raptors fan, I'm sure you've uh, you remember when Vince Carter returned and all the vitriol that happened. Uh, LeBron, the first time he left Cleveland. Uh Kevin Durant back to OKC. There's a long history of star players getting booed uh, in the towns that they spurned. Uh, this was a very unique situation for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, Kawhi only played here for one year, mm-hmm. uh, and he was traded here. You know, um, two, he won us a championship. Yeah. Uh, three, he was a Finals MVP and chose to leave. So that already is like sort of a precedent-setting, a historical thing in the NBA that just doesn't happen. Like the la- the closest thing was Michael Jordan retiring after uh, the championship, the the, the, the three peat. They yeah. three peated. Michael Jordan retires, goes to play baseball, but he didn't leave to go play for another NBA team. Mm-hmm. Like players always come back and try to repeat. That's just sort of what you do so Kawhi leaving was very 
unprecedented, like I said. And I it's think never a, happened before. Yeah, I can't think no. of a, a comparable. No. So a lot of people were like, well, what are the what are Raptors fans going to be like? You know, uh, are they going to be pissed off that he left and sort of took with them our chance to repeat? Uh, uh, how does it shift the narrative? Are we bitter? Uh, and then so there was a lot of eyes. The game was on ESPN in, in the States uh, on how we were going to react, how the team was going to sort of uh, tribute him because he was getting his ring that night because it was the first time he was back uh, since winning, of course. But uh, yeah, the, the fans, they gave him a standing O, the, 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 the sort of production where they, the, you know, they play the video tribute and then they cut the lights and you see the feet. They, they retraced the feet with a light show like where he made the famous shot in Game 7 against Philly. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't cool. know that. That's yeah. wicked. And then yeah. you hear the bounces off the rim and then dead silence, and then the place erupts, and then the lights come back up, and everybody like standing. Oh, they started chanting MVP. He 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 shakes everybody's hands like that that he played with the teams, uh, the GM, everybody, the owners, uh, and then Kyle was waiting at the very end, almost like the end of Titanic, uh, where <laughs> Leo's at the top of the stairs to invite Kate back, uh, and uh, and he goes to Kyle and he sort of rubs his eyes like as if like you know the, the ring was so blinged out it was you know hard to. Oh, to I look thought at. he was fake crying. He said it was because it was so blingy oh. that it was like uh, yeah like the sparkle in his eyes so. Then they like had a great moment. Uh, the fans ch- chanted MVP, and we mm-hmm. gave him sort of a, a rousing, a rousing welcome uh, back and a thank you for that memorable and historic run. Doc Rivers afterwards said it was the best reception he's ever seen for a returning player, and that mm-hmm. Toronto's a class organization. Basically, like all of the you know all of the writing afterward was basically Toronto did it right. Mm. And I guess Mike is asking Mike Pesca uh, how much of that is because we're Canadian, how much of it is circumstantial. Yeah, it's is that all what you think he's asking? Yeah, well, it's super context specific, but I do think there's a Canadian angle to it. But yeah, because but it's just hard to compare it to anything else because, like, when was the last time like a franchise that's never won a championship won a championship in this context? Right, and with a guy who front porched it that listen, I probably won't be coming back. Yeah, everyone had already presumed he was going back to his home of L.A. Yeah, and then there was only at the very end a question of he might actually stay. He gave us hope that he actually might break his promise that he was going to leave and we thought he might stay yeah so, yeah like i'm not like he, here's what, the meanest canadian city i think <laughs> no but, but here's what i'd say is that i uh, this is all anecdotal but uh, i was talking to uh, a music buddy ryan uh, trash shock ryan yes and who is an insane boston fan and i remember asking him about you know what's it like like you know like boston the red sox won a world series and then last season they played badly and he's like, I was like, aren't you just happy though that they've won four World Series in the last twenty years, and that you have, you know, the the the, the Pats that keep winning, and the Celtics have a couple chances? Like, aren't you just cool? He's like, fuck that. No, we're furious with the Red Sox right now. So I was like, that that to me, I was like, that is a difference because we had just won our championship when I was having this conversation with him. Oh man! So it's like, I think there is a Canadian thing where we're like, you know what? We'll take what we can get. We like you know we didn't expect to get a guy like Kawhi in the first place, so it sucks. It's heartbreaking that he had to leave, but hey, we're gonna give him a hero's welcome. Whereas I think if you were to ask Red Sox fans, Red Sox would be like, "Fuck you!" Like there's like a more hardened thing, especially when it comes to these northeastern sports cities. You think about Pittsburgh, you think about Philly, you think about New York, D.C., Boston, where they're just like, "Fuck you! You left us." Yeah. And I think they're like they're like a place like Boston has this more like provincial pride to like the way they feel about themselves uh, from from that neck of the woods and I and I think there is like there's a Canadian thing where we're like Toronto just, one didn't even want him when he when we got rid of Demar it's like who's this guy he's injured he's trash and then all of a sudden he starts playing well it's yeah. like we love Kwai Quine and dying here anytime you want <laughs> yeah so let's not act like it's pure Canadiana because 
He didn't get the best reception in the world. He got a pretty good reception. I think you're mistelling that a little it bit. It was okay. Mike, no, I mean, am people I, were sad that Demar like, left. It was, it was so divided. People were sad about Demar, and and, and initially, I think some of the more less educated. Uh, Sports fans who don't watch a lot of basketball didn't quite understand what they were getting with Kawhi. Those of us that watch a lot of hoops and watch the Spurs over the last, you know, oh uh, Mike, even decade. even talking to you though, yeah. it was pretty divided. Like it was a it was a bit of a gamble because Kawhi was unproven. Oh, because he had I was only thrilled. Played you could games. the minute the trade went down, you can look at my Facebook. I literally am like one hundred percent. This is the greatest movie we've ever made. This is the smartest thing besides ever done. Even if he stays for a year, it's better than what we were doing the last five years, where we would get so far and then Demar couldn't bring us to the promised land. I'm, I'm stamped on that. So I was 100% in. Where I said it was the gamble is, uh, one, I didn't know if he would report to camp. There was rumors that he was so disinterested in coming to Toronto mm-hmm. that he might even sit out. And that made me nervous. And then the injury. He only played nine games the year before. So I go, I don't know if we're getting bad goods, but if he can play at the level he played at before this last season, I'm like, this is a no-brainer. This deal makes sense 100 times. And when he debuted in Vancouver in preseason... He got a hero's welcome. Yeah, and also I think the way like Vince left, he left on such bad terms, and he's like stopped trying. Like, do you want to know a difference? Well, he said he wasn't going to dunk anymore either, which was oh, they like first game in New Jersey, like fucking reverse windmill. Yeah, (laughs) but in Toronto, he said he wasn't. going to Oh no, I know that was what it was. He's he's like, I'm done with dunking. I'm not into it anymore. It was just such a petulant thing to say. And then like a game after the trade in New Jersey, he's throwing them down again. Anyway, uh, I think the thing with Kawhi and the reason he gets away or not away with it, but the reason that people are fine is one, obviously the championship. It was a transaction thing we had him for a year he delivered at the highest level anyone's ever delivered uh for an nba team in this city um but his contract was up the difference yeah. about like with like paul george like asking for a trade or uh vince carter vince carter still had like two years left on his deal mm-hmm. that i think makes people upset when they go okay you sign a five-year deal you're gonna make whatever you're making 25 million dollars a year it's like and then with two years left on your deal that like you're asking out I mean, listen, like, I, I have a lot of thoughts on it, but I think that makes people upset. Yeah, like, Kawhi never deal. Str- strung anyone along either. He was never like, love the city, you know, this place means so in much Toronto, to In Toronto, they hate him in, in San Antonio. He fucked them over. Yeah. He had two years left on his deal, and then he, he basically yeah, said, that's true. trade me to L.A. Yeah. You know, and, and then they scared off every other team that came along, so they couldn't, he he basically tried to block everything, whether it was mm-hmm. Boston or all these other cities. And that's why Masai's gamble was so risky, because... Even after the trade was done, you know, the, like Shane said, camp sent word like uh, Kawhi's camp that said, we don't want to be there. I think you turned pretty good and, and liked it. But I think you had a moment of pause where we talked about it at our desk, whether it was a good move or not. Mike, 100% Mike totally not. Missed. 100% not. All right. Well, I'll have to check my digital records. Because the, the trade happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The trade happened. Uh, it came through at 3 in the morning. 3 in the morning, the text. Went right into bed. I like, Dan is like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm losing my mind. Post on Facebook. 100%. I watch basketball. Ask John Pablos. Ask anybody. <laughs> I will. Yeah. And my only <laughs> my only trepidation were the two things I said was, uh, I don't know if he's going to show up. And that would be very embarrassing for Toronto mm. to make a move like this. And it would stain what was already a perceived idea that no one wants to come up here. Well, everyone's trepidation was, that is he the same player he was when he left San Antonio because he had only played eight games prior to that yeah nine and I didn't care because DeMar couldn't get us there so anyway that that was my feeling at the time and and again I'm all over Facebook sort of fighting with people too like literally the next day that are saying like DeMar was the man he wanted to be here like I you could see the yeah. thread and I never engage on Facebook but on this one I felt very uh, very passionately about it yeah I guess the, I guess the, to answer Mike's question though it's like we'd have to kind of do a thought experiment where let's put this situation in Boston. I know and it's all very, there's a lot of variables here because like Boston's won a bunch of championships, whereas the, no Toronto team had won anything since 1992. It's like, but like, let's put this exact situation in Boston. Okay, so Larry Bird. Yeah. He's, uh, Larry Bird in his prime. He yeah. says, I'm coming to Boston. 
I think after this season, though, I'm going back home to Indiana. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to win Boston a championship. And then he wins the championship. Yeah. And then he comes back as an Indiana Pacer. Yeah. You don't think every Bostonian gives a standing ovation? Yeah, I wonder what the, the split is in the crowd. Like, if there's, like... Yeah, maybe, you know what? Maybe I'm giving Toronto too much credit. Maybe every every city would do the classy thing. And and obviously, MLSC is a good organization. They were very thoughtful about the way they wanted to present Kawhi. I was in the house that night, and I was waiting for him to be introduced with the player introductions. They only introduced four players. I, that was very confusing when I was watching that. Yeah, I was I, like, is Kawhi sitting tonight? Because I was, I was on dad duty that night, and I... Uh, so I, I didn't start the game till an hour later on PVR. And so when the intro started, which I was excited to see, and they, I was like, why didn't I hear Kawhi's name announced? I'm like, is he load managing tonight in Toronto? That's yeah. crazy. And then it's because they waited to yeah. announce him, like mm. Max was saying. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I like to think that, uh, like, I kind of actually love, like, Philly fans being notorious assholes. It's like booing Santa Claus and stuff like that. So I, so I like to think that some of these hardened northeastern cities would be a little less sentimental. Well, it's an, we're in an interesting time, too, with, like... Um, Mental health. We are now more aware of these players as people than we ever mm-hmm. have been before. I think historically, it's entertainment, right? Like part of what you pay for is your right to boo somebody, and it's kind of all a big laugh. Like if Kyrie's coming back to Boston, those guys want to take the piss out of him. You know, it's like yeah. this is what we pay our money for. The guy makes $30 million a year. Like let's have at it. The paradigm's sort of shifting now where it's almost like we're, we're tisk-tisking like fan behavior mm. that historically has been part of the, what you pay for. That's part of the package. Yeah. It's like, oh, I want to go and I want to boo that guy on the other team. This is going to be fun. And now we do that. And then the players, you know, we never even talked about Kyrie's rant, uh, you know, about the sort of the, the sports complex and, and everything is like sort of like being performative, which we could get into. But I, um, I think it's interesting how that's sort of shifting now. But I thought a really good uh, point in the Michael Lee article was he said that um, you know, when DeMar returned to Toronto, the love that he got was more than, you know, Kawhi got, mm. even though Kawhi won as a championship. When Kemba Walker returned to Charlotte, it was all love, you know, because they realized that the Charlotte Hornets are cheap and Michael Jordan didn't want to pay him and that they couldn't put a winning team around him. So those fans understood yeah. that, that Kemba Walker had to go to Boston to win. So that made me start thinking about the value of what's real in your relationship. Is DeMar being devoted for nine years on the Raptors or whatever he was here, maybe a decade, uh, and not winning and delivering at the highest level, is that more important like to, 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 our, to like this sort of shared sense of, uh, of, of accomplishment and building and, and familiarity? Or is like a guy coming in here and being the absolute best and winning the reason you even play the game, which is a championship? Is he more important? What is more valuable? Is it is it just the ring? I think there's different parts of your brain. I think on one hand, it's like you really value these like long term, deep relationships where everybody feels like invested and like you're they know the and you're in this together and you know them. You like you he built loves something the city. real. It's yeah. our city, exactly, because that is a real meaningful thing to be a part of. But then also a fucking championship is like, Woo! It's like that's also another part of your brain, which is also important. The other I, point I made on this Facebook rant that Shane clearly doesn't remember. Uh, was <laughs> I, that I think I remember our conversation now, but I'll let you continue. Okay. Yeah. That DeMar, uh, you know, everybody was like upset that we traded DeMar. They felt it was ice cold and the guy loved the city and he, he wanted to stay here. All of those same like sports fans on my Facebook that were saying that. They're all the same guys that if he had flamed out last in the playoffs for Toronto again, they'd be the same guys that say, he's overpaid. I can't believe that guy makes $30 million a year. They lose their mind. And nobody ever like has nuance or context. They never go, oh, right, I'm the same person that was killing DeMar for getting swept by LeBron the season before. But now they're upset because like you know the narrative has changed. But it's like you're not thinking about it 
clearly. You're not mm-hmm. thinking about like, well, what are you going to do when DeMar actually, you guys saw what happened with the Spurs in the first round. You know, he, he did DeMar things. Like, DeMar's a wonderful player. He's a multiplier multiple star. He's not Kawhi, and when it comes down to it, he's not a superstar. That's okay. That we All those things can be true, but don't sit there and tell me that, like, like uh, we did DeMar dirty. Like, you wouldn't get on Facebook in eight months from then and say, this guy is a choker and he sucks in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It's like everyone's sentimental until they're not, and it, they don't deliver the championship. And that's why guys like Kawhi, I think, go, yeah, I'm going to load manage because the only thing that matters is the playoffs. Like Charles Barkley and these guys don't get on TV and kill dudes, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that win champions, championships. That's the thing. It's the only thing that matters. You know, like Dirk never would have been fulfilled if he didn't win that one ring. And it's like they smarter players and guys like Kawhi go, I understand what it actually is about. And so, like, I'm going to I don't care about a game in November, which isn't great for the business because people pay to go see that game in November. But he knows legacy wise and pundit wise and like taste making wise when Stephen A. Smith is yelling on a TV show. The only thing that matters is rings. Yeah. So what we were talking about was how it might be not a good move in the long term because Kawhi's only going to stick around for a year. And you were saying unless he wins a championship, you don't know if it's worth it. Make, get us to the finals. Right, yes. Yeah. We were talking I, was, about I said that. finals are about I said we can lose in the finals. I'm like, but if we don't get to the finals, it could be a it, would ju- it just looks Here's the thing. I think I think outcome actually does change perception. I think that <clears throat> to, for me going for Kawhi was the right move, even if they lose in the conference finals or... I mean, the semifinals would have been rough. Mm-hmm. But I think that narratively, people would have thought that it was a thirsty, desperate look by Masai in Toronto. Yeah. Now he looks like a genius mm-hmm. because history, you know, declares winners and lunar- losers. Nick Nurse has alluded to this before. You know, if that ball bounces out in Game 7 and Philly goes on to win in overtime, you know, in the semifinals... like It's, it's like a match point. <laughs> it is. The movie, Woody Allen. I like that That's movie. That's true. Yeah, don't, don't watch it because Woody's bad. Oh yeah, um, but I hate, hate that movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Canadians were nicer on. I think it's. I, I agree with you. I think it's circumstantial. I think that's why we were so. But maybe we are kinder people. I don't know. Yeah, no. Well, when Katie tripped, we were all over him. That's not well, totally true. Ripped either. his ACL. Yeah. No, but we ripped him for oh, ripping that Achilles. ACL. Achilles. Or, or whatever it was, yeah. we were all pointing and laughing. No, and then, uh, part no, of the no, crowd no. was. I'm just saying yeah. what people were saying yeah. in the media. I'm not yeah. saying my opinion. Yeah. But Canada was the worst at that yeah. moment in time. Now we're the best mm-hmm. again. Yeah, yeah. And this is just a, an odd one because it is so context context specific. There's never been a a superstar with a personality like Kawhi. We had never won a championship. It's like he left us to go home. Like there's so many things that are very specific that would lead to us giving him a, a hero's welcome. I think. Well, he just made us feel like winners. And I think for this town and our sports fandom with the Leafs and the Jays, it's been so long since the Jays have won, and especially the Raptors, we have so many moments where it's like, oh, why doesn't it happen for us? Or how come it's going like that? Why does it have to be the absolute... Like when LeBron, to win game uh, three, that we're making a magical comeback on in the playoffs last year, hits a running floater kissing off glass at the buzzer to beat us. It's like... They're fucking with us. Like, yeah. we are the Washington Generals. Like, we're never the Globetrotters. Mm-hmm. And when Kawhi was here, it almost, like, it was just so fun to sort of experience that. And I think you got to thank a guy for bringing that to you because when you watch as much hoops as we all watch, it's like you go, this is very, very, very rare. And, yeah, it's sad that he left, but fuck it, man, standing out. Cool. One more thing on the wraps. Uh, i got to give a shout-out to my brother Greg because, mm. uh, as uh, is you the know. the story of the, the week? If you guys listen to uh, this podcast, you know uh, my brother Greg works for MLSE. Uh, he does a lot of documentary work. He does that show, uh, All for One. Uh, Erica, you work with my brother. That show, yeah. yeah. Great show. Great show. Fantastic show. show. Uh, also, you guys were shooting the parade, the Raptors parade. You guys do mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of work. You're yeah, very that versatile. Was awesome. Yeah. Um, because my brother is an employee there, 
they gave all the employees like uh, a rings, like uh, like these beautiful sort of real deal championship rings for real. Yeah, like they spent a lot of money sort of giving out rings to uh, different uh, you know full time employees, executives, people like that that went on the team. So I knew my brother was getting a ring, and I was very excited uh, for this because I, I heard they were going to like engrave our name. So there was going to be a ring that exists with the last name Veerman on it. Like I was just, I was so proud. I was like, "This is going to be something in our family." Mm-hmm. It's pretty wild. Um, so uh, on uh, Saturday, the Friday night, my brother uh, came by just because he needed to drop off the keys because he borrowed our car, and he had a bag. And he goes, uh, "Hey man, here you go." And I was like, "What?" He's like, "This is your ring." Mm. And I was like. What are, you, what are you talking about? And and I had seen uh, the nut, uh, I'd seen Virtual's story that day, so I saw that the employees were getting their rings. So I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be fun. I'll probably get to see my brother's ring." He's like, "No, that's your ring." And I was like, I was confused. I was like, "No, like, what do you mean?" I'm like, "It's like, like what you got like a like what do you have like a, a replica ring or something like for mm-hmm. me?" He goes, "No, man." He's like, "That's your ring. It's yours. I want you to have it." Uh... And I'm looking at Danica who was sitting with Winnie, and Danica was tearing up. <laughs> so then I started to be like, "What's going on here?" And everyone in the room knows something I don't. I'm like, you're giving me like your championship ring? He's like, yeah, man. He's like, you've loved this team longer than I have. Mm. He's like, I want you to have it. I was like, I was shocked. And I was like, did you know about this? And Danica was like, yeah, I guess Greg had called and asked for my ring size like like eight weeks before or whatever. That's so so Greg had been been planning this. And then, um, so yeah, I I brought the ring here. If you guys hey, amazing. Yeah. Oh, amazing. So I like uh, I, I I didn't even I didn't know I'm like am I allowed to accept this like if I, like am I a bad brother if I accept no. this? Um, Don't deny Greg the opportunity to do something nice for his brother. Yeah, like wild, right? Oh, that's so cool. Like this is like yeah, like Bircho uh, Adam uh, the nut was saying that like this is wow. real gold, real diamonds. Like it's kind of insane. Like I was blown that's away. So nuts. Oh yeah, it has all the series in it. Like yeah, that's a, every, ah. four one four two uh, four one four three four two four two. Yeah. Man, on the inside of the ring, it's engraved. Uh, so then I uh, yeah I posted so on crazy. I posted on Instagram that night just because I was like, and I even my brother's not nearly as sentimental as I am. So like even when I saw I ended up seeing him later that night, I was like I got kind of got sentimental on uh, social media. Yeah. He's like he's like I loved your post though. It was a beautiful uh, post. Well, I was just I was just very uh, yeah emotional and so Greg. Yeah, anyway, so I want to give my brother a shout out because this is like probably the nicest thing anybody's uh, ever given me. But you know, the thing which is so beautiful about this sort of uh, gift, this transaction here, is that it probably filled Greg with as much joy as that you received. You know, it's like one of those things where it's like the act of giving also probably feels so like deeply gratifying and then you getting it. it, it just, everything is just awesome. After I posted on uh, <laughs> social media, I did get a message uh which was kind of, I, I, he doesn't know I'm going to read this, but I'm going to read it just because I, uh, I, I, uh, I liked it. It made me giggle and just was very sweet. But uh, the nut, virtual, uh, I guess he saw it. And so he wrote immediately uh, after he saw the photo. He goes, I'm so fucking stoked about that ring. He's had that plan for fucking ever. And I'm in <laughs> tears thinking about you wearing it. Love you, buddy. Ah, so nice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Anyway, so shout out to my brother. Uh, the ring will stay in our family uh, for generations and generations. I will pass it on to Winona. And, uh, yeah. and no one will ever call him cheap on this podcast again. Hey, no, we're no, definitely going to call him cheap no. for sure. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, moving on. Our next topic, Maxi, y- you choose. We can either do birthdays. Taylor Swift had a big birthday. PD had a big birthday. Mm-hmm. Or let's do uh, John Frusciante rejoining the Chili Peppers. Yeah, I'm not a huge. Let's do that one because uh, I'm not a biggest chili peppers fan but i like the chili peppers i actually read scar tissue um, i read that too yeah. you, isn't that a crazy book that's the yeah. autobiography of uh, 
Anthony Kiedis. Yeah. That guy had a crazy life. Just the Cole's notes is basically he was having sex when he was like eight years old and like tried heroin when he was 11. And he's like li- moved from Michigan to live with his dad, who was like this bohemian, like California guy. Yeah. And, and he just had like one wild experience after the next. But uh, that's he all. always does the same thing, though, again and again. It, this, the book is yeah. very sick. It's like the, he yeah. relapses so much that and maybe that's the nature of drug addiction. But like by the, the end of the book, to Chain's point, I was like, oh, my God, like it made me want to try heroin. I'm like, this is pretty consequence free. Really? For him. Oh, he just kept trying it, uh, getting a new babe girlfriend, <laughs> trying it. Another uh, Mass- sugar sex magic comes out. <laughs> <laughs> new babe girlfriend. Like it's like okay, and he's in, in the most in shape, like fifty eight year old man in the world. Yeah, he, yeah, he's had a lot of success and good fortune, I guess. Just did it make you want to try drugs? Not really. I'm afraid of all that stuff. Right. But uh, but anyway, Frusciante rejoined the band, and the thing is just interesting about the Chili Peppers is because they started uh, Flea and Anthony Kiedis started the band. I mean, lifelong friends. lifelong friends. They started the band together. They had an original drummer. He, I think he died of a dr- drug overdose. No, there was original guitar player Halal, I believe, oh, is his name. That's right. He died of a drug overdose. Yeah. Then and they had some success uh, before Frusciante joined the band, but then he started playing with them when Blood Sugar Sex Magic. He replaced the original guitar player, yeah. who was like the three of those guys were like high school besties. Yeah. Right. They start the band. They audition Chad Smith, former pod guest, if you want to go back and listen to that episode. Uh, and um, and then, yeah, their guitar player passed away. And then Frusciante replaced him and then was the guy for the next. And he, he was the guy for the next little bit. And that record's amazing. Like, Under the Bridge. Like, the, the beautiful uh, Chili Pepper songs are a result, in my opinion, of Frusciante and his beautiful guitar playing. Are you saying that name right? Frusciante. Frusciante? Frusciante, I heard. <laughs> No, I don't know how to say it. How do you say it? John Frusciante. 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 I, I can't say it. Let's, anyway, let's call him John. And then, he leave, and then he left the band, and I think he had some major drug issues. And Dave oh, Navarro yeah. joined the band from Jane's addiction. addiction. And then the records were okay. One Hot good. Minute was that record. Yeah, but still not great. And then he rejoins the band for Californication. That's right. And By the Way, which have so many fucking smashes. I love there. Scar Tissue, the song. Yeah, it's yeah. a great song. And then he leaves the band again because he, he just maybe wasn't artistically satisfied. I don't, I don't think well, it was he's as like, drug he, related. He's a very like uh, artistic dude. Like he sees music in colors. He's painter. He mm. like I think I think I mean you know the narrative. None of us know him, but it's like I think he's sort of like he can't force the muse. He's so a it's like, sensitive guy. So when he's not feeling it, there's actually a very 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 famous clip that is fascinating to watch. Me and my brother have been watching this for years. It's them performing under the bridge on SNL, mm. and John Frusciante is so sort of, I think, because Keith talks about this in Scar Tissue, uh, the book is so sort of um, out on like the commercial success of the band and the way they're sort of become commoditized and maybe the the dynamics with Anthony in the band and all that stuff mm-hmm. that when they're doing SNL, uh, Frusciante decides to like as an act of like sort of like willful defiance play the song like fucked up like it's funky in like a wrong key and it's live. What? You can watch this clip. Oh my God. And so Anthony Kiedis says it's the mo- it's one of the most embarrassing moments of his life. He goes, because we're live on SNL, and Frusciante starts playing the song, but he's not doing it in the right key. He's not doing it right. He's like, so he's hanging me out to dry. I'm singing out of key. He goes, and if you can watch it, it's, it's, it's watch this. You can actually see Anthony Kiedis physically moving away from John Frusciante, and you can tell that he probably just wants... This, the two and a half minutes or three, four minutes of the song to be over so we can kill him. Yeah. And oh, so wow. that was when it was like, I guess, at its at its worst. But, you know, those things happen. But that's, look that clip up. SNL, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers doing Under the Bridge in like 1990 or whatever the fuck it was. 
So he's back in the band now. They he's just, back, baby. So they just announced that his replacement guitarist is like, thanks a lot, buddy. We got our guy back. I thought that was wild. It was a Flea weird... posted on his Instagram. He's like, we're going to part ways with this guy who's been in the band for a decade, two records, yeah. young guy. Yeah. Uh, they're like, we think he's a beautiful person and an amazing musician. We're also announcing John Frusciante has rejoined the band. Back we're in the over band. the moon. It's the perfect coincidence. <laughs> <That> shit... <laughs> Um, and I'm I'm excited about it because I think the best material is that combination of of Flea and Frusciante playing together. Obviously, Chad Smith's a big part of it too. But um, but I got me thinking like, what are the reunions that need to happen? Because there's a lot of reunions that don't need to happen. Um, but is there any sort of combination of like a writer and, uh, or director and actor or other bandmates that split up or anybody kind of in the artistic field that you want to see happen again? I know you're looking at Mike, but yes. <laughs> what do you got? Owen Wilson, Wes Anderson. What was the last thing they did? Uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, wow. Why haven't they done anything lately? I think Owen became more of an actor and Wes became more of a director. Isn't it funny that like, but you're like, no, this, you guys do a oh, particular they, thing so well they together. They co-wrote Royal Tenenbaums together. Is that yeah, the deal? nominated for an Oscar. Yes. Both got nominated I remember for an Oscar. That. They did Rushmore. They did Bottle Rocket. And I think those are their three best films. Oh, wow. And so you think they, in their minds, they've grown out of each other or that yeah. particular thing? Well, he did Life Aquatic with Noah Baumbach, mm-hmm. who's become a, a fairly big uh, writer-director yeah. who did Marriage Story. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't like that movie as much as mm. I did the, the previous films. I heard that actually uh, Matt Damon on the Bill Simmons podcast is writing a movie with uh, Ben Affleck. And Simmons is like, how long is it the last time you guys worked together, like wrote something together? He's like 30 years basically or whatever. It was Good Will Hunting. It was like 1995 or 93 when they started to write it. It didn't come out until 97. But I thought that was interesting that they're getting back in it. Uh, Do you you got anybody? Well, I was just thinking about what Shane said, which I think is interesting, is that like – if you're Owen Wilson and you become like a, a sort of a, a very wealthy actor, you know, like because once because there was a pocket there where Owen Wilson was like a movie star, right? Mm-hmm. And he was making a lot of money. Do you think that it's harder to find the time and motivation to sit down with your friend Wes and like actually re- like put in the time that it takes to like write a really good script? Or are you more like, no, nah, I think I just want to go to like, you know, the Rainbow Room in L.A. and like have some fun? Uh, I think it's way harder. Right. But now that he's fallen off a little bit, I think that little bit of. uh challenge does motivate you yeah he's probably more interesting now mm-hmm. too after like 20 years in the spotlight yeah i hope they get back together i'm with shane on that one but yeah i, I like i and a part of me is kind of like oh that's weird because because owen's in life aquatic yep but he obviously didn't write it mm-hmm. but I, I just thinking in my own personal thing i'm like he's like nah i'm making a movie i can't do it right now like you keep putting it off putting it off and then all of a sudden you're out of it the rhythm and it's, it's such a terrible role for owen too it's the only movie they ever deviate from his normal texas accent mm. and they give him a louisiana accent they're not that different are they it's the way he does it is horrible oh interesting you would think it wouldn't be that far of a departure but it's terrible huh yeah it's funny it's like when artists sort of uh, don't want to recognize like the thing that makes them special, and it's okay to 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 go out and evolve and to change and to try to better yourself and improve and do different things. Like I, I love artists that are very eclectic, but when they totally turn their back on the thing, they're like, "Oh no, you're really good at all this other stuff, but you're exceptional at this one thing." Especially when you do this thing with this other thing, and they don't want to do that anymore because mm-hmm. for whatever personal reason, I always find that it's like when Michael Jordan went to play baseball. <laughs> that was like his love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike, do you got any? Uh, nothing. Imp- no, I mean, I, I like when uh, I like when Leo and Martin Scorsese work together. They obviously haven't had a falling out or anything that I'm aware of, but uh, I don't know how many more movies 
Scorsese is going to make, but it'd be nice. You know, every time they collaborate, it seems yeah. like it works out well. I'm a big fan of Gangs of New York. I enjoy Wolf of Wall Street. I think The Departed's like amazing. Um, it, I like those guys together. He was kind of the new De Niro for a bit, and then he decided to go back and pull De Niro back and just de-age him. Yeah. I like those two, though. I'm, I'm trying to think of musicians, though, because the other thing that happens with musicians is a party goes like, well, imagine, like, could Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel make magic again if they decided to write songs? And it's like, I don't know. Like, sometimes those, like, partnerships, they, they, they have, like, a window, you know? Like, it's not like Mick Jagger and Keith Richards can get together and write a banger, or mm-hmm. else they probably would have. Yeah. You know, but like historically, I would say my answer would be I would have loved it. There's this famous story of um, Paul McCartney and John Lennon hanging out in New York City after the Beatles had broken up. Uh, Paul, I guess, visited him at the Dakota. Whether this is myth or true, it, it seems like it's true. Uh, and Lauren Michaels does that skit. Lauren Michaels had a bit on SNL where he goes on and he's like, um, here on SNL, now that we have a show, uh, we would like to reunite the Beatles. This is our uh, this is what we want to do on the show. And I am willing to offer you. Three hundred dollars. That's the bit. And then I guess uh, he says uh, he goes split it however you want. Give Ringo less. We don't care. We would just love to have you (laughs) on the show. Uh, You can look this clip up on YouTube as well. Uh, Apparently, John and Paul were watching it in New York and were trying to figure out whether they could get to the studio or not just to take the piss out of the bit. Oh, like wow. they would have, they would have, they would have walked in and said, like, you know, they would have put them on air live. This is how the story goes. They made a TV movie about this sort of like hanging at the Dakota in the seventies, but. Whenever I read old Rolling Stone interviews or like talk, the Beatles talk about, you know, uh, why they were part, whether it was acrimonious in the early 70s or when they all become a bit more benevolent in the late 70s into 1980 before John Lennon was assassinated. I'm like, I would love for them to write John and, and Paul to write something together over that decade. You know what blows my mind, though, which speaks to their chemistry is the anthology. So basically the Beatles got the three remaining Beatles got together in 1995 to go through all their old demos to put out this like quintessential anthology collection of their music. To save Ringo, right? That was he was the, bankrupt. It, the, apparently George and Paul agreed to do it because Ringo was not in a great place financially. Oh, interesting. That's been the story. I didn't know that. But here's the thing. So basically they ended up recording as the Beatles two songs that were Lennon songs from the 70s. So there was a song called Free as a Bird and Real Love that were like Lennon demos and they still had the vocal and a bit of his guitar on it and they built up a track around his vocal performance and then they also like wrote a bridge that Paul sings and they basically constructed a song with the four Beatles and those two songs are the best fucking Beatles songs. Like those songs like stand up to any Beatles songs that was written in the 60s and you just go, oh my God, their chemistry and the way their personalities played off each other was so fucking good because they each had really, really good solo careers but they never reached that sweet spot in my opinion that the Beatles were known for but then it's like take a Lennon demo, get George and Paul singing over top of it, have Ringo drum on it, Paul write a bridge, George does a guitar guitar solo and the songs are fucking beautiful. I can't recommend you to listen to this more. Like um, Regina Spector covered Real Love and it's so beautiful. And so anyway, yeah. Those are the two. Uh, I don't know if that answers the question properly, but who are yours, Max? Um, This is not quite as uh, monumental as as, uh, John and Paul, but another songwriting duo. Uh, Ed and Steve from the Bare Naked Ladies. Hey, that's a great answer. Yeah, because um, I, I'm a, I'm a Bare Naked Ladies fan, and I've become pals with Ed. You know, I've run I ran him a couple weeks ago, and we've obviously interviewed Steven on the podcast. And Ed, and they and they have such a good chemistry together. And their live show was really about the two of them. And they're and obviously Steven's not in the band anymore. Bare Naked Ladies tour without him, and but I just there's such a great 
there's such a great partnership in the way they perform together and the way Steven would, would sing his own songs. So anyway, I, I just like want that reunion to happen. E- Erica, what do you got? Is there anyone you want to see reunited? I don't know. I was thinking about this a lot. I, I don't think I'm quite in the age where a lot of my influential pop culture What about like Tom folks? DeLonge coming back into Blink-182? What about 1D getting back together? Mm. Mm, don't really care for 1D as a whole. Oh, They're way better solo. Okay. My one group would have probably been the Jonas Brothers, and they just the, did they, their reunion tour, which I attended, and I was extremely satisfied. So. Nice. That's slaying. Gangbuster is that tour. They're doing arenas, man. Yeah. Yeah, bigger than they ever were. Back-to-back nights. They can all thank Nick for that, by the yeah. way. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. He, he's the talent. All right. All yeah. right. Moving on. Let's let's quickly hit uh, Taylor Swift's big birthday party. <laughs> yeah. Max Max was all over. You were looking at the the pictures on social media. We were taking a look before we recorded this pod. It looked like she had, it was well attended. Yeah. Well, she seems one of these very things popular. Where like with celeb birthday parties is like they take these group photos and you tap on the photo on Instagram to see. Oh, oh, there's Camila Cabello. Oh, there's you know. Um, Martha Hunt is that a celebrity or a, mm-hmm. that, that's her name right she's a model model yeah. yeah it's like just like kind of and so and also Diddy had a uh, party this weekend for his 50th and Kanye and Jay-Z were there together and you know they're famously kind of friends now I don't know what they are what now. was the feud between them that kind of separated them Kanye went on a rant about Jay-Z when he was on his solo tour for Life of Pablo, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And then Kanye, and then Jay-Z responded to him. But they, they famously put that record, Watch the Throne, together, which is an awesome record. Um, but yeah, I was thinking, like, who would you guys invite to your birthday party? I'm, well, hold on. Let's go back to this Taylor Swift posting these, like, photos with, like, you know, eight famous people in them. Like, I imagine there's probably a lot of people at the party. Like, what if you're kind of hanging with the group, but you're not famous? Like, do you just sort of know not to try and get in the photo? Do they ask you to sort of, like, take the photo? Well, and if you do, does Ta- is Taylor like, what's your Insta handle? Like, I have to tag everyone. <laughs> like, <laughs> do, do, do their non-famous friends just know, sit this photo out? Sit this out. Yeah, who does she got here? It, like, there's no, but you know what? To her credit, though, there's some non-famous people that are tagged in this. So it was like really? Someone named Gypsy, well, non-famous in the scope of this party. So someone named Gypsy M- Moonshine. I've never heard of her. How many followers? 68,000. That's, but I heard they only had 300 before she tagged them. Oh, really? There's <laughs> no, another, I'm kidding, Max. Oh, okay. There's another person named Melani. She, I don't know. She's a lover, laugher, singer, and seeker. Ooh. And she has got 49,000. But maybe she's her backup singer. I wouldn't be surprised at that. Oh, yeah. She is Taylor's backup singer. There's another... Oh, another singer. Okay, it's a lot of her backup singers who have like 50,000 followers. They got tagged. Oh, that's pretty good. That's well, generous they, of Taylor. They get those followers because the Swift fans of course. think they can get inside look at Taylor by yeah. following the ancillary people that orbit her. Yeah, her guitarist is it was tagged there. So she's got her band out, got her drummer. Actually, poor Matt Billings uh, only has 3,700 oh, wow. Instagram followers. Uh, and then, but also the uh, her friend um, Abby from high school. She she's still her best friend. I and bet she, you Abby's got a lot. Uh, yeah, what? How much does Abby have? Okay, let me predict. Yeah, we'll do it. One twenty. Okay, let's see here if I can find. I'm gonna it. say the best friend Taylor Swift's best friend from high school. I'll go three hundred. You got a guess, Erica? They've talked about her mm, on. Yeah, probably like two fifty. On okay. another podcast, and she's like apparently like. A financial manager, like wealth manager in like so Nashville. She's a very normal job. Three hundred and sixty-four thousand. Yes. I was. I regretted my thing in the second after I said it. 
Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so what, what were you? What was the question? Sorry. Yeah, I was just thinking about like who you'd invite to your birthday party for oh. the sweet Instagram. Like, photo. Y- like to make it mean? interesting, you mean famous people? Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because it, it, I, I like to think there's an interesting cross section. I'm sure she's thought about. It. She's like, it can't just be me and a bunch of supermodels because I did that before, and I think a lot of people were annoyed with me for that. And it can't just be a bunch of white people, you know. And, and it's like I need to give some shine to the people behind the scenes, but I also want like. Camille Cabello and Ryan Reynolds there too. You know, it's like, what's that sweet mix, you know? So, <laughs> well, this is a hard question because I'm not friends with any famous people. No, so. you don't have to be friends with them. Okay. I'm you, just saying, you started off and then I'll say. Okay. Things. So, like, for instance, like, I'm trying to think about like who I'd want to roll with, assuming, okay, I'm talking dream scenario. Barack Obama, for sure. Yeah. He, I want him in that. Dan Hamilton, for sure. Wow. Same level. Right? No, because I need. Wait, so now you're mixing in regular people. No, because you want some regular person shine next to Barack Obama. Okay, right. I see how to make it look like fame doesn't bother you. Yeah, separate these things. Phoebe Waller Bridge. Okay, cool. Uh, Dua Lipa, because Lauren is jealous of her. Okay. Um, So this would be to create a jealousy trap and have hot (laughs) sex afterwards. Probably with Lauren. But Lauren's not invited. Oh, Lauren will be there for sure. Yeah, no, that's assumed. Um, Okay, I'm trying to think of other. uh, athletes that I really like. That's about as far as I got. Phoebe Waller Bridge, Barack Obama, and Dua Lipa. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, and Dan Hamilton. Don't forget Dan Hamilton. Yeah, and Dan Hamilton. Yeah. Who do you got? Give me five. Five people I'd want to invite to my birthday. Yeah, party? but 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 t- t- that would speak to who you are as a person, so you could brag about the the company you keep. You know what, Max? Yeah, my brother. Mm. My kid, my wife, and everybody in this room, guys. Oh, I love shut you up. All. Anyway, Erica, who I don't do you need got? Can I go after Shane? Sorry, do you got anybody? Like right. o- Owen Wilson would be there. Owen, yeah. LeBron James. See, this is good already. Yeah. Kanye West. See, this is awesome. Jay Z. F- okay, you're going down Diddy Roll, and then Road. Mace. And Mace. That's who's, right. Who's Mace? Mace is one of my favorite rappers. I love Mace up. too. Yeah, Erica. Oh, I would invite Anthony from Queer Eye. Yeah. See, that's smart. He was at her party. Who's yeah. Anthony? The hottest guy from Queer. The mustache. The he kind of looks like Montreal. Mike D. The mustache. Um, no, that's Jonathan Mendes with the long hair. Uh, I like that guy. Yeah, he can come too. Sure. Yeah. Um, also, oh God, I don't like. I don't know. Okay, no, that's the end of this segment. Yep. Let's keep it going. All right. If you had to, ch- well, no, not not just yet, Max. If you had to choose between going to that Taylor Swift party or the PDD party, which party do you choose? That's a great question. Oh boy. Yeah, I think it has to do with like who you hit it off with the most. So it's like the reality is I probably hit it off with somebody at the Taylor Swift because you know maybe like Definitely. I think like me and Anthony could I could have a great Definitely. combo with him. But in my mind, you find the people at the P Diddy party intimidating. Well, I'd like to more th- legends at the P Diddy party. No, but this is it. Like I I have loved Jay Z since I was twelve years old, and there's a part of me that thinks I could win over Jay Z. In some way, mm. I think Jay Z would like me for mm. some reason, uh, but that might not be as much of a reality. Also, an age gap. The P Diddy party is a much older party. Yeah, yeah. The Taylor Swift party is a younger. She's thirty. Party. She turned yeah. thirty. Yeah. Diddy's fifty. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And with the women, they would think you were hitting or talking to them, not because they're famous, but maybe because there's some sort of like chemistry between a man and a woman. Whereas I, I find if I was talking to Kanye, he'd be like, oh, this guy's just trying to talk to me because I'm famous. Yeah. So it, it's a little bit realer if there's like some sexual chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Mm-hmm. 
Like, if, like if, if you were talking to Gigi Hadid, Shane, she was there. It's not necessarily because she's super famous. It's because you would talk to anyone that looked like Gigi. Yeah, Hadid and she might think, setting. oh, uh, this guy might not even know who I am. Right. He's just talking to me because I'm attractive. <laughs> <laughs> Which party would you choose, Erica? Taylor Swift, yeah. probably. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, just more up my uh, my demographic, but. Um, yeah, it seems more fun. I would also invite Maggie Rogers to my party. There Dude, you that's go. A good one. That's and, I would, a great and I would invite Greg. Aww. And I would invite my brother Jack. Nice. So you got a lot of good ideas. Yeah, now I'm thinking, and uh, that would be my party. Uh, all right, let's move on to Shane's surprise. Yeah, no, I uh, insinuated earlier that I didn't have one. <laughs> 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 surprise. <Yeah. laughs> 